Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we continue our discussion about racial bias in policing and police funding. The Tucson Police Department has come under increased scrutiny following the in-custody death of a Latino man in April in the midst of a national conversation about racial bias and injustice in policing. That incident formed part of the city council discussion earlier this week. On Tuesday, the Marin Council approved a one-year extension to the labor agreement that covers Tucson's police officers. But as Steve Jess reports, the council also wants to get a head start on crafting a new agreement for next year. Tuesday night's vote on the agreement with the Tucson Police Officers Association was originally set for the previous week, but that meeting was postponed when news broke that a man had died of cardiac arrest in police custody in April. The news brought public calls for reform or even dismantling of the TPD. Instead, the council chose to continue the current labor agreement for one year. It's not a traditional collective bargaining agreement, but more of a memorandum of understanding that governs the relationship between the city and the police force. The council voted to have the city manager report back in six to eight months on progress toward a new agreement, one with more accountability for police. Mayor Rahina Romero. The community deserves the right to know um, the uh, discipline history of of police officers in every department throughout the country. Councilmember Paul Cunningham wants the next labor agreement to be much different from the current one. I don't want to do another blanket renewal next year. These guys have a year with the command to figure out some things. Councilmember Lane Santa Cruz, a staunch critic of the police department, was unwilling to extend the contract at all and voted no on the plan. I believe that we inherited a policing system built on unjust historical practices as an answer to social and economic inequalities. We did not create them, but it is our responsibility to change them in order to change the outcomes. The council wants to hear from city manager Michael Ortega sometime this winter about the status of negotiations on an agreement that includes more transparency and accountability for the police department. Steve Jess, Arizona Public Media. During Tuesday's City Council study session, Mayor Rahina Romero introduced a new community safety pilot program. Her proposal includes bringing together a mental health support team, eight new social workers, a system to address non-emergency calls, and a new Housing First director. It also calls for discussion on how medical calls are handled between police and the fire department and for community engagement to occur before the program is created and implemented. The new program would report to the city manager's office. Before we start moving towards reimagining how we provide services um, and public safety in our community, we need to continue listening uh, to, um, to the community, making sure that we add their voices as we take steps towards um, really preventing uh, what we saw in, in the death of, of um, uh, Carlos Adrian. Romero's memo also called for other policy changes, including immediate notification to the Marin Council and the community of any in-custody death, 
and strengthening the role of the independent police auditor. She also called for a review of the various police review boards for more data and for hiring a consultant to do more community engagement. The City Council approved changing the notification policy on deaths immediately and also approved moving forward with the overall pilot program. The next step is a series of listening sessions in all six City Council wards before the city manager begins to turn the mayor's memo into city policy. Tierra Rainey is an organizer with Black Lives Matter Tucson. She's spoken about police brutality during protests sparked by the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the death of Carlos Ingram Lopez in police custody in Tucson in April. Black Lives Matter has called for defunding the police in cities nationwide. Elisa Resnick talked with Rainey about what that means. Many people don't understand where police came from, which is it started with slave patrols and also evolved into groups that were created to bust up labor movements. The Sesame Street version of, oh, we just we just help people and we help the community. That's a very new narrative that they are trying to adopt, but it doesn't change what their function is. And defund is a, is a tool, but it is not the movement, right? The movement is abolition. I know that this has been a question people have asked time and again, not just in Tucson, but around the country right now. But when we talk about defunding the police or Black Lives Matter being an abolitionist movement, what does that mean in terms of next steps for communities right now? I think in terms of next steps, we're, this is an exciting moment. It's an overwhelming moment. I'm Tucson native. Uh, in fact, I'm a second generation Tucsonan. And we have family roots that go back here generations. And I am hearing people just say Black Lives Matter. I never thought it would happen. This is a town that historically has always had a small Black population, but the Black community does exist. Really, what abolition is, it's talking about freedom. It's grounded in Black liberation philosophy. And, you know, some people are like, well, how can you have a defund campaign that only centers on Black people, especially in a community where you're such a small percentage? And the reality is, if the, the root of Black liberation is saying, if you can build a world where we are free, everyone is free, because we're the bottom of the social ladder. Uh, and not just the United States, it's, it's global. We are the bottom of the ladder. Um, and that is based off of white supremacy. Most people, I think, prior to like three weeks ago had only heard of abolition as elementary school students, probably around the Civil War and about the abolition of slavery. And that language is still very intentional because this idea that slavery ended, we talk about the 13th Amendment, for example, and the fact that there's still the clause that folks that are incarcerated in this country can actually still be exploited for labor. They're paid cents on the dollar often. Abolition is a movement that is not anything new. This has actually been work that's been carried forward by Black femmes for decades, including thought leaders like Angela Davis and Miriam Kaba. This is longstanding work that is actually grounded in Black activism. And it's having a resurgence because it's speaking to this larger narrative of how did policing turn into this? How did it turn into one third of the city's budget? It didn't happen overnight. It happened with things like the war on drugs that happened with the militarization of the police after 9-11. And we are asking 
our community and our leaders to take a step back and put a pause on the button. Most folks, especially in over-police communities in this, in this town, will tell you that police do not make them feel safe. Pouring money into social services, transportation, rent, these are all things that improve lives for Black people and by, and by default, everyone else in this community. And this is a discussion, as you said, that is happening nationwide now. Tucson Police Department has said in the past that it considers itself a progressive police force in terms of different recommendations that it has adopted. How does the national conversation about police conduct and the role of police fit into the things we're talking about here in Tucson? So as abolitionists, we don't believe in police reform and the murder of Carlos Adrian is a perfect example of why. Magnus has been on TV and the newspaper, a champion for eight can't wait, that he is a progressive cop, and yet in his own shop, this death was covered up for two months. The point is simply that the idea of progressive police is a myth. African Americans, even though we are less than 5% of the population of the city, we still make up 13% of officer-involved shootings, and we are still overly incarcerated. Regardless of how progressive they say they are, it doesn't change the fact that policing is inherently racist and violent, period. And so this notion that the goal is nicer cops is not what we want. What we want is liberation. And I think that Tucson is a very palpable place for this. You know, it is absolutely possible, I think, to build this other world, but we need to begin to be okay with dismantling this idea that it has to be the police that lead the charge in all this. We don't need community officers. We have plenty of organizations that would have the capacity to send out people that are not going to be armed, that are invested in de-escalating situations with folks in crisis versus that they have the option, the lethal, the option to use lethal force. This is along the same vein, but a couple of weeks ago when Mayor Regino Romero hung the Black Lives Matter banner on City Hall, your group responded on social media and called it performative allyship. Can you explain what you meant by that? And is that something we're still seeing today as well? I think many folks are co-opting the name of Black Lives Matter, but not really living or understanding what those principles are, right? Um, To understand that Black Lives Matter is not the invalidation of all other people and all other oppressions, but simply saying, I agree with the concept that Black people are human beings and that all of us are deserving of dignity and human rights. Um, And in the case of the city council, And the mayor specifically with the hanging of the banner, the mayor has been convening a, um, I believe, advisory council on racial equity. And no one from BLM was contacted to even be a part of that conversation. We know that many conversations have been happening with, quote, Black leaders for weeks, supposed Black leaders, right? But these are Black leaders that we know that have had a history of saying all lives matter, who have not supported, historically supported the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, Black leaders that are former police officers, Black leaders that are specifically aligned with reformist ideas about policing and who praise the police. Those are the Black leaders that are being invited to the table. So don't tell me that Black Lives Matter to you 
when you only listen to a small segment of black voices and claim that they are leadership. Black people are not a monolith. That in and of itself is insulting and anti-black, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, it was performative allyship because nothing had been shown to us by the mayor or the city council. And I don't mean just in this recent last couple of months. I'm talking about for years. What have they done for black people? We haven't had a black city council member since 1987, which is when my godfather, Chuck Ford, lost office. That's why it's performative allyship. I, I don't care about your murals. I don't care about your banner. I want to know what you're actually doing for black people and to improve our quality of life. I want to see actual relief for black people who are living on the margins in this town. That's what I want to see. Black Lives Matter Tucson has shown a few graphics on social media that actually show how those funds that are allocated to police equipment like canine units or aviation could be spent elsewhere on mental health professionals or rent assistance. But despite calls to defund the police, Tucson City Council voted to extend the city's contract with the department and give police $166 million from the budget this year. That's roughly $2 million more than last year. For people who want to see defunding, what are the next steps? The reality is defund is not a moment. It's a movement. And to successfully defund, to to move towards abolition, that is not something that happens overnight. Sometimes it does, right? In Minneapolis's case, it seems as though I think to the public that it happened overnight. That's not true. There have been people organizing, creating the foundation for that move to happen, right? And like, that's the reality is like, this is sustained movement. So regardless of whether the city council chooses not to give them $2 million additional dollars or not, um, that's a win if they choose to maintain last year's budget or to reduce the budget and invest in folks, but that's just the beginning. Um, we're here in the, for the long haul. We know what the people need and people are ready and they're open and they want to learn. And this is not going to be the end of it. That was Tierra Rainey with Tucson Black Lives Matter. Last Saturday, members of the Tucson Police Department and the Tucson chapter of the NAACP held a virtual town hall to address issues like systemic racism and the policing of vulnerable communities. Despite the timing, the event was not a direct response to the news earlier in the week about the death of Carlos Ingram Lopez in TBD custody. According to Cherie Meeks, the vice president of Tucson's NAACP chapter, the two groups had been wanting to have this town hall for a while, but it was delayed due to the COVID-19 crisis. And uh, we found that there was a sense of urgency now for us to come together, and so we have decided to, rather than postpone this, again and again to do this virtually. TPD officers spent the first part of the meeting giving more details on the Ingram Lopez case. TPD chief Chris Magnus announced that the department will alert the community to all in-custody deaths from now on. During the discussion, which was partially moderated by United Youth Leadership Council member Jamil Beasley, community members submitted questions for officers to answer. Many raise concerns about racism in the police department. So does TPD believe there is systemic racism in their department and in police departments around the country? Magnus didn't shy away from the history of racial injustice within law enforcement. I, I believe that in policing overall, there has been a long history of systemic racism and in the criminal justice system. 
he called on young people, including those who do not trust police, to work towards a better system and invited them to join the force. Meeks listed the goals that the NAACP wants police departments around the country to meet. Those include the establishment of a citizen-run board to hold police officers accountable. While TPD does have a community advisory council, Magnus says that it does not always operate as well as it could. First of all, it's hard to get people to come on a regular basis. People haven't been entirely sure what they should be um, giving us advice on. Now would be a perfect time if there are people who are interested in being on our community advisory committee to reach out to us. Magnus and other officers also discussed the policing of vulnerable populations, including people with mental illness and people who use drugs. The police department operates a mental health support team, but they do not go on patrol or respond to calls due to the high demand for their other services. Magnus said that all patrol officers receive mental health first aid training, and many also undergo crisis intervention training. The department is also working on deflecting people with drug misuse issues away from the criminal justice system and toward treatment programs. We discussed that in our January 16th episode. Throughout the discussion, Chief Magnus reiterated the idea that in order to make systemic change, a lot of people are going to have to work together. He urged people to become politically active during this election year and to put pressure on elected officials to aid in criminal justice reform. Rich Harper spent 34 years working for the Tucson Police Department in roles that included patrol officer, detective sergeant, lieutenant, and captain. He retired in 2008 and now teaches criminal justice at the University of Arizona. We asked him to explain the term community policing, which has been a thread in those ongoing conversations about law enforcement. Community policing is really just problem solving and partnership. It's really um, the police partnering with the community to identify and solve problems. And some of those are crime problems, but many of them are not crime problems at all. They're social issues. And so the police might be the tip of the spear in terms of helping the community find the right um, social service agency or the right uh, city um, department to help them um, provide a solution to a particular type of problem. For example, you might have a, uh, a uh, you might go talk to a neighborhood association. And you find out that in talking to them, you you know you go there with the idea that you're going to find out about crime problems, but the first thing you hear about is is that people speed up and down the street. So, you know, some of the solutions are, well, you know, one, the enforcement solution is, is you have police officers go down there with radar guns and they write people tickets. That doesn't necessarily build the kind of relationship that you want. So uh, non-enforcement solutions might be something like having speed bumps put in on the roadway so that people will slow down or those roundabouts or, you know, other other uh, measures to uh, get people to uh, slow down that don't hit them in the pocketbook per se. Prior to when I came on, they did something that was called professional policing. They had things called like fluid patrol where, you know, you, you patrolled in certain areas. But the Kansas City study showed that 
uh, random patrol, fluid patrol, all of these uh, different patrol techniques where the officer is driving around looking for crime, looking for criminals, not getting out of their cars, that method of policing isn't very effective. What's more effective is actually getting out of your car and communicating with people and finding out what problems exist and then trying to direct your activity, whether that be enforcement or other alternatives, to try and uh, mitigate that problem or eliminate it if you can. It really sounds like if you had to sum up the difference between intelligence-driven uh policing versus community policing, the difference is relationships. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to get, if you want to get buy-in from the stakeholders, the people living in the neighborhoods, you don't ignore them. You talk to them, you create a dialogue, and you find out what it is that's troubling them. I did a community policing project when I was uh, a lieutenant, an assistant division commander on the south side in the Elvira neighborhood. And uh, I got some officers um, who I got them to park their cars and get out. And I wanted them to go from, from door to door to talk to people, to find out how things are going. And some people wouldn't talk to them. Um, but what we discovered is, is that a lot of people living in that area were afraid. They weren't going out uh, after dark. They weren't, you know, um, they weren't going to the parks. They were... The children were fearful walking back and forth to school. So part of community policing is the relationship building with the idea that you're either going to reduce crime or you're going to reduce the, the fear of crime. Those two can, can go hand in hand. Because when, you, when you're not afraid, you feel more free and, and you can enjoy um, you, the quality of your life more. And I think that's, that's what we want police officers to be doing, is to helping people in the community enjoy a better quality of life. From a data standpoint, does it work better than intelligence-based policing in reducing crimes in areas? Yeah, no, it doesn't. Intelligence-based policing um, is much more effective in terms of strictly reducing crime. If you want to, if that's all you're concerned about is reducing crime, then intelligence-led zero-tolerance policing, will, where you're arresting everybody for every little thing. This is the Bratton method. I mean, Bratton is the, was the former uh, Boston PD, New York PD, and then went over to LA PD. New York City, all of those places were very, very, uh, the police were very effective in reducing the crime rate. And not just minor crimes, but, but felony crimes. But the problem is, is that when you're doing that, when you're um, arresting people for every little thing, you can't develop a positive relationship. The officers don't have the discretion to say, you know, smoking's not good for you, 15-year-old that you'll end up with lung cancer and the education point of thing. Instead, the officers are motivated to throw the 15-year-old up against the wall, search him down, looking for guns, looking for drugs. Um, they take the cigarettes, they arrest the kid. Now he's got an arrest record. So, but what, what problem did that solve? Well, um, if you're strictly looking at crime rates and you do a whole lot of that stuff, you're going to lower your crime rates. But the problem is, is that you're going to have an angry minority community that feels oppressed, and they already feel oppressed. 
you mentioned, especially right now, there is a lack of trust in police in Tucson and across the country. Why have we gotten to there and can it be fixed in any relatively short amount of time? Well, the police have to do a couple of things. And I'm not, say, I'm not saying the administration because I think the administration is there, but I think that the, the line officers and the line supervisors, the people who are at the point of contact, they have to understand that black lives matter, that Latinx lives matter, that minority lives matter. And they have to treat people as if they're important. That can be done. But it, but it takes, um, it's going to take police agencies to make the effort to understand that they all have implicit bias, that the racism exists in every law enforcement agency. And, and the police have to have an appreciation for how rough it has been for minorities since the inception of this country. And it's time. It's time for us to start treating people equally and accepting the fact that their lives matter just as much as ours. And that's a tough, it's a tough thing, Chris, because um, I taught um, racial profiling at the Tucson Police Department. And I can tell you there were a lot of white cops. And, and I'm white, okay? Um, I can tell you there were a lot of white cops who sat in the back with their arms folded, who... Um, were in complete denial that, you know, they saw themselves as being this objective and fair person, but they never really considered what it might be like if they were a minority walking down the street and every three blocks a police officer pulls them over and stops them and pats them down, searches them, um, drills them, you know, uh, uh, about where where they're at, where they're going, what are they doing, when all they're doing is walking from the convenience store back to their house. You can uh, write policy, you can um, put on training, and uh, you can even have um, laws that address this. But until it's fixed within the culture of the police agency, it's never going to be fixed. And what that means is, is creating a culture where officers are actively looking for ways to develop better relationships with minority communities. And that means being, being um, brave enough to have dialogues with people who don't look like you. As, as, a, as a people, um, African-Americans and Latinxes or Mexican-Americans um, have been mistreated horribly in this country over our history. And we have to accept that that was wrong, and we have to work harder to build up that relationship and, and to be there for those people as, as opposed to be after those people. That was Rich Harper, who retired from the Tucson Police Department in 2008. And that's the buzz for this week. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.